Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today's sermon is entitled, Some Things We Need to Learn. In this sermon, Pastor Johnson brings us eight simple lessons that we all need to learn and understand. And now, here's Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. Now, tonight... uh, once again, I am I'm, I'm getting away from I'm getting away from power because next week is a another speaker going to be here going to be prophecy next week and so I said well I'll just wait till that's over to finish my power series. Uh, last Wednesday night was very unique for us and you know that and so I spoke on words of grace and uh, and uh, I, I think I helped some people. Tonight, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach. I'm going to talk and I'm going to teach. It's going to be a little fireside chat without the fireside because it's too hot to have a fire right now. Okay. I'm going to talk about this tonight, some things we need to learn. I'm going to talk about this tonight. Um, I'm just going to talk to you tonight a little bit and speak on some things we need to learn, and I will be done before you can even hardly sit down. Not really, but it's a, it's a good try. Philippians chapter 4 says, not that I speak in respect to want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. We need some things that we need to learn. The older I get in this thing called life, the more I realize there are many things that I just don't know. Someone said, I've learned. I still have a lot to learn. That's what I've learned. Mark Twain said at the age of 14, his father was one of the dumbest men he ever knew. But by the time he was 21, he said it was amazed how much the old man had learned in seven years. And just about the time I think that I have some things figured out and pigeonholed in life, I discovered I didn't have them figured out at all. There's some things we just need to learn. I heard about a man that went in to see a psychiatrist one day and he was sitting in the waiting room. He had two lettuce wraps on his head. Had a cantaloupe wrapped around his ear. And he had corn on the cob wrapped around his neck in a necklace. When he walked into the psychiatrist's office, the psychiatrist said, what can I do for you? He said, doctor, I'm not here about me. My brother is crazy. He needs some help. <laughs> I'm not talking to your brother tonight, okay? I'm talking to you with the lettuce on your head. And the cantaloupe around your ear. And the corn around your neck. I want, to talk, I want to talk tonight on eight things that I think we all need to learn, all right? And everybody say, Pastor, talk to me tonight. First thing, you want to write these down, it's all right, it's going to be on the screen. It is okay not to be perfect. It's okay. This statement is not contradictory to the Christian life that presses toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. When I first started living for God... My concept that was taught to me was that I needed to be perfect in every way. 
that God looked for perfection in my life. And when I was a kid, I used to have dreams that I wasn't what God wanted me to be. And I would wake up crying in the middle of the night, could not sleep. And I tried to be perfect. And I discovered that such a thing simply wasn't possible. Discovering something and learning something is two different things. And I learned some things. It is true that Christians have perfect righteousness through Jesus Christ. That's where we get our righteousness from, is from Jesus Christ. But we ourselves are not perfect, and we never will be. And understanding that we are not perfect should help us understand that neither are others perfect around us. Amen? And understanding that we are all not perfect, and the goal of life need not be perfection, takes a lot of pressure off the daily grind. Every one of us has a nuance. Every one of us have a situation in life that is our thorn or is that our pain or is that our our cross that we have to bear because it means that life doesn't have to be perfect for me to be happy. There's some folks came in the door tonight and I could tell that they were sick and they were hurting and I made this statement to all of them. We're going to praise God in spite of anything that's in our world tonight. Because there's nothing greater in our world than Jesus Christ. He is the greatest in our world. And we don't have to be perfect to be in his presence because in his presence is fullness of joy. Amen. The Bible said that in Psalms 103 and 14, he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Don't you ever doubt that. When you go through life and you say, oh, I made another mistake. Remember, you're just dust. You're made out of dust. And the only thing that's righteous about you is what he's imputed into you. For our righteousness is as filthy rags. But thank God for his righteousness that we can live in this world. Amen. The second thing that we need to learn is that pain is a necessary ingredient in life. Pain. Nobody likes to experience pain. Nobody. And we go to great lengths to avoid it. And I suppose that we should. But there comes times when pain simply cannot be avoided. It's hard to believe that power comes out of pain. Jesus walked through a wall or a closed door and they did not recognize him. He spoke and they did not recognize him. But when they saw his scars, the objects of his pain and suffering, they knew who he was. Pain identified him as Messiah. Pain empowers. Pain communicates. Pain has a language of its own. And oftentimes, God lets us feel pain in order so we can communicate Christ to others. A difficult place to be in life is when you can't defend yourself. And it's hard, especially when you have been wrongly accused or you're misunderstood in life. It's important for us to remember that at his trial, Jesus was falsely accused. Yet he made no effort to defend himself. Like a sheep, the Bible said, he was dumb before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. And when you can't defend yourself and you look up and say, Oh Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. Because pain is going to come to all of us. And whatever the reason for your pain, it is a necessary ingredient in life because you cannot live without it. To be a part of what God is doing today, it's going to hurt. Life without pain can really hurt you also. Things we all need 
to learn. The third thing I want to talk about tonight is this. Success in living for God is based on commitment. Let's talk now. I'm ready to talk now. There are things in life that are simply emotions. And a lot of people live on those. And when they have them, they feel happy. But when those emotions evaporate, they're unhappy. Because emotions can be extremely fickle. And we are going into a full-blown season of emotions. It's called football. (laughs) Both college and pro. And I hate to say it, but I'm afraid the Catholics are going to beat us in Notre Dame on the first Saturday. We might have a chance against Rice. Just a thought. Things we need to learn. But when you have a deep sense of commitment, you are in for the long haul, regardless of feelings that you have in life. The word feelings is mentioned only twice in the New Testament. But the word faith is found 245 times in the New Testament. Feeling is mentioned twice. Faith is mentioned 245 times because faith operates on commitment and feelings operate on emotions. And the lack of commitment is the plague of this generation. Changing career several times, moving frequently, divorcing, remarrying are the orders of the day. And people are only kept together by commitment. In living for God, we need to be committed or you won't last. In your marriage, you must be committed or it won't last. In character, you must be committed or it won't last. I don't care what day it is or what time it is. I'm going to be the pastor of this church and I'm going to be the man that you need me to be for the kingdom of God because I'm committed to something greater than even you in your life. I'm committed to him. You understand that? Let's talk about it. There's three things the early church had. They had separation from the world. They didn't let the world bug them. They had unconditional love for God and they had trust in God. They had three things. That's the way to stay committed. But commitment is something that needs to be solidified over and over again. There have been times when with deep feeling and emotion, you, you guys have all done it in purpose. We've consecrated, committed all to the Lord. God, If you want me to go be a missionary, I'll go. I'm feeling so good right now. Then I felt like it was once and for all. Then I go get a hamburger after church. I say, God, really, I'd just soon stay in Austin. Then the day came when I found myself doing it all over again. I had to go back and recommit. It has to be that way. It cannot be with feelings. It must be with commitment and faith. We've got to commit ourselves to God. Can I just step back and say, is anybody wanting to go all the way with Jesus Christ in your life? Anybody? Is anybody? I will tell you again, this is not a sprint we're in. It's a marathon. And he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. For the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. It's not. But I'm telling you, the ones that endure... You've got to endure. You've got to be committed to Jesus Christ. And you know what I love about Wednesday night church? You folks come because you love Jesus Christ. People come on Sunday morning because they love the church. They come on Sunday night because they love the preacher. They come on Wednesday because they love Jesus. You love the Lord? Clap your hands real big. We need commitment in our life. 
things we all need to learn. The fourth thing we need to learn is that truth never changes. Regardless of how people change, regardless of how cultures change and theories change, truth remains. Not only does it remain, but it's narrow. You know how narrow it is? Come here, Brother Reed. Come here, Reed. Come here quickly. You may be a little bit bigger than Jesus. I'm going to show you how narrow truth is. It's this. It's as narrow as this right here because Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man cometh through the Father except. Truth is not a big old wide door. Thank you, Reed. It's the man Christ Jesus, the mediator between God and man. That's what truth is. Two plus two, folks, in 2015 still equals four. The sun still rises in the east and sets in the west. Water still freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. There's no need to argue any other way. There's no need to argue any other way. It is narrow, but it is true. So it is, so it is with God's word. God's word is forever settled in heaven. The Bible says in Proverbs 23 and 23, buy the truth. Everybody say, buy the truth. And sell it not. Get a hold of this thing called truth. I'm, I'm telling you now, I know it's, it looks stupid what I'm about to do, and don't sell it. Get a hold of it and don't sell it. Hold on to truth. Because there's so much untruth in the world today, but I'm holding truth in my hand. Heaven and earth shall pass away, he said, but my word shall never pass away. Thy word is truth, O Lord. Amen. Amen. That's why when you go to a courthouse, I think they still hold a Bible. When you take a witness stand and you say, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And in the area of those who say they preach the truth, there have always been issues. Now let's talk about it. Because it's easy to talk about issues and not talk about truth. There was a time in a church council that they argued over how many angels could dance on the head of a pen. That was a debate. It sounds stupid. In the book of Acts, they fussed over circumcision. In the Catholic church, they argued how many fingers are necessary to make the sign of the cross. Two or three or all of them clasped together. They argued about that. That's issues. At the turn of the century, one denomination had an uproar over their conference whether their preachers ought to wear suspenders or not. D.L. Moody made an issue over reading Sunday newspapers. You could read Monday through Saturday, but not Sunday. He wanted you to read the Bible on Sunday. He preached against riding bicycles on Sunday. D.L. Moody would be hard to sit under, wouldn't he? The Methodist Church of England had a confab over what to do with leftover communion crumbs. It's issues. The day the communists took over in Russia, the Russian Orthodox Church was in council. And the big issue of the day was what color the threads on the priest's robe should be. True story. I have seen preachers argue over little things on conference floors and take up three hours, only later not only to do what they were once against, but even do it much worse. Because issues will never be the leading element of the church. The thing that's going to take this church to heaven is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may not see each other eye to eye on issues of life, but we can hold on to truth. And we can go to heaven together by the truth of the word of God. It never changes. Some folks argue over issues, but not truth. Jesus Christ is truth. So learn to make 
what to make an issue over. Some things are worthy of making an issue about, and we need to do it. But some things are not. Things we need to learn. The fifth thing. I'm kind of glad my sweetheart is not here tonight. She could not make it. Let me tell you why. We had somebody going to come and work on our house, and they're supposed to have been here at our house at 11 today, and they got to our house at 515. And they're still working, and they'll be working when I get home tonight. And so my wife's one of those kind of people who won't leave the house with people working that she don't know. She might even stay there with you when you come to work. <laughs> but the fifth thing we need to learn, here it is. My wife is my best friend, and my family is my dearest earthly treasure. not anything deep but you need to learn this that knowledge is valuable and is precious beyond words I think I know my wife's my best friend and I think I know that my family is my dearest earthly treasure a defensive driving course they used to tell the students that you wouldn't put a new shotgun in the back of your pickup truck if, if it was not in a case it's too valuable to do it but you'll put your kid in the back of the same truck is he not valuable you remember the story of the Civil War when a mother came to President Lincoln to plead for her son who was going to die for desertion. And Lincoln gave him a pardon because that mother's tears and that mother's plea. But as an afterthought, Lincoln said, I wish I could give him just a little bit of dying. I wish I could let him feel just a little bit of dying. I'm afraid some folks such as that concerning their loved ones need just a little bit of dying. Like the father whose little girl almost drowned in the swimming pool and they revived her and they couldn't quit hugging on her and loving her. They had a little bit of dying in their life. Sometimes people have to almost lose something to realize how valuable it really is. Because I want to tell you what happens to us in this world, we take so much for granted. The devil doesn't always steal our families, but he paints them in camouflage colors. We see them, but we don't see them. We can walk back by the house and our boy walk by wanting a dad to say hello to him. And the dad's too busy thinking about his job. A wife wants a hug. And the man's too busy because he's got so much on his mind. But I'm telling you, my wife is my best friend. And my family is my dearest earthly treasure in this life. <laughs> say amen to that. Say amen to that. I need to learn some things. I know a man who preached. If you ask me after church, I can call his name. He preached all over the country and he preached conferences. He preached camp meetings. He preached things of every kind and he was doing the work of God until his marriage was destroyed. Then his ministry was destroyed. Then his church nearly disintegrated. Many lost out with God. He thought he had it all together. Till it came crashing down and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it was all because he never learned that his wife was his best friend. And his children were his dearest earthly treasure. I don't know what Patty and I have done right. I don't know. I wish I could can it. I wish I could can it. But I want my kids that are in this house tonight to know one more time. That they're my dearest earthly treasure. When I see my Misty 40 years old and I understand that 
the crisis, the crisis that she went through and the pain she had to suffer in 1981 as a six-year-old child and how we survived that and how we made it. And I see her now at 40 glowing, beautiful. She's beautiful and two sons, two sons that are just as sweet as they can be. And I say, God, I thank you. My family is my dearest earthly treasure. I want to preach to you, family. Listen to me, family. When I see my little girl up here singing tonight, she's got a little boy nine months old, and he weighs 24 pounds and three ounces at nine months old. The nurse said there's not even a chart for him. He's off the chart. <laughs> I love it. The next Dick Buckus. The next Tommy Nobis. And when I see, when I see he's, he's off the chart with his height. And she said, will he double his next year? She said, oh no, he'll slim down. Oh, we don't know about that. <laughs> but when I see her singing the praises of God tonight, I realize again my family is my dearest earthly treasure. Some things we need to learn. I think some husbands need to put their arms around their wives and there need to be a little smoochy smoochy tonight when you get home. That's all, but just smoochy smoochy. But I want you to understand that your kids are your inheritance. They're awesome. And there's some things we just have to learn. My, my Cassidy's having her third baby and she's got a PGA golfer that she's raising it for. He's going to be the first PGA pastor on tour. He's going to have a service and go out and beat them all in golf that day. And then, and then she's, got, she's, got, she's got Miss America for 2030. She's raising Miss America 2035, something like that. I'm trying to figure out the times. And she's so gorgeous. Now they're going to have another child. And they don't know what it is, but it's going to be precious because my family is my greatest Earthly treasure, forgive me for bragging on my family. Forgive me, but I wish you would brag on your family. I wish you'd brag on your family. I wish you'd stand and say, my family is the most awesome thing in the whole world. The awesome thing in the whole world. My family is special. I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my kids. I love my wife. My wife is my dearest friend on earth. We need to learn that. We need to learn that in our lives. To learn that in our lives. Amen. Let me finish. I got about eight minutes. I've never been sorry, number six, for things I didn't say in anger. Did you get that? I've never been sorry for things I didn't say in anger. Oh, there's a lot of things I could have said when I was angry. But I've never been sorry for anything I didn't say in anger. I've been sorry for many things I did say. Don't be too hard on people who let their mouths get overloaded. We've all done it. I've said things I wish to this day that I could have back and take back, but I can't. There's, a, there's an old, old, old fable about a story about a man who started a false rumor on a friend, and he went to the minister to try to make restitution. The minister took a feather pillow and ripped it open, and the feathers just blew away in the wind. He, and the minister said, go pick up all the feathers. And the man said, you know it's impossible to pick up all the feathers. 
And the minister said, so it is with the words we speak. It is impossible to pick them up again. You speak words that go out from you to never return. People burn bridges they can never recross by words they speak. But I've never been sorry for things I didn't say in anger. It's better to bite your tongue and swallow that unworthy thought than speak it. Some things we all need to learn. You don't have to say the last thing to win. You win by being gracious to one another. Number seven. Boy, say what you came for, but you're getting it. The seventh thing that we need to learn is doing right can be doing wrong. I once heard a true story about a man who was falsely accused and he kept the right spirit. And years later, he was vindicated. A right spirit is so important in the sight of God. Say it, a right spirit. Joseph was put in the pit, lied on by his brothers, sold into slavery, lied on by Potiphar's wife, forgotten by a man in prison, and the Lord was never left him. He never left him because he had the right attitude. A right spirit is so important in the sight of God. I want to do right. Anybody here want to do right? You just have that, just that feeling, I want to do right, but I want to do right with a right spirit. I don't want to do right wrong. I want to do right by being right in my spirit. And when you're right in your spirit, it all comes out all right. That's all I got to say about that right now. But we'll get on that later. The eighth thing that I want to share with you. And in finality, as a pastor, I'm not your enemy because I tell you the truth. How many, how many, if I had a vote tonight, would know that I love you folks with everything that's in me? If we had a vote tonight, thank you. All you that are opposed, don't raise your hand. Galatians 4 and 15 says, where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible... You would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Verse 16, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now here's what I want to talk about. I try to preach by principles, not by issues, but by principles. I do not preach to attack people. I never have. I do not preach to hurt anyone. I only preach to help. There may be a principle I preach that you don't agree with. And if you don't take my advice, guess what? I'm going to love you just as much as though you took my advice. I'm not going to dislike you because you don't take my advice. Because I don't always have the right advice. Guess what? I'm human. I still want you in this church. If you've done something that I think you should not have done, I still want you in this church. This is not a church of perfect people. Neither does it have a perfect pastor. We're all trying to go to heaven together at Christian Life Church. Amen. I'm almost done. I will not mistreat any of you that do not practice everything I preach. I would love everyone to experience a new birth. And I'd love everyone to live a moral, godly lifestyle. I'm trying to take this church to heaven. But I will not be pleased if others in this church mistreat you. Because this is a church, I just feel like saying it, that's on its way to heaven. 
and we're going to go there loving God. I had a lady come to our come to my office yesterday. I had a long day of appointments yesterday. I had a lady come to my office, and she came to our church a couple of times now, and she said before she ever heard the singing, before she ever heard the preaching, before she ever heard anything in church and worship, she said, I knew I walked into a church full of love. Here's what I want to tell you. We must remain that kind of church. This is just a little halftime speech. Let's get into the fall season. Let's say, let's go, let's go grow a church in the fall. Amen. Let's love everybody. Let's care for everybody. And I'll never preach to criticize you, but to criticize the thing that may be destroying you. But I am going to preach. And I can't wait till Sunday because I'm going to preach. For many years when I have to deal with somebody who sinned, made a mistake, I always tell them, I'm going to preach. It's not going to be aimed at you personally. I want to tell you that right now. I will never use a pulpit as a place to preach down or whip somebody. It is preaching that convinces and convicts of sin. It's preaching that gives us faith. It's preaching that saves us. I wish I could preach a masterpiece every time I preach, but I can't. I wish I could feel inspired every time I preach, but I don't. I wish I could lift you up every time I preach, but I can't. But I am. Every time I climb those stairs, those pulpit stairs, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to lift you. I'm trying to encourage you. And I'm trying to say, let's join together and let's go to heaven together as a church. That's all about. That's all about. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.